0: Ask God to open your eyes to see from His perspective. When you see spiritual truth, you will experience courage and peace because you will see Him in fully in control.
1: Welcome to the MANA Bible Lessons Podcast. MANA is a Bible study life group that meets at Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield, California, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. However, if you're listening from another part of the world, then we welcome you, and we invite you to stay tuned after the lesson to hear how you can submit your prayer request to be on our prayer sheet. Thank you for joining us, and now, here's Brad Hannock.
0: Fellow students, if you would be so kind, open your Bibles to 2 Kings 6. 2 Kings 6, as you know, we're studying uh, First and 2 Kings, they record the history of Israel's monarchy, the period of time when there were kings. It's a multi-century period of really a tremendous amount of instability in the realm and shifting foreign empires. Israel, northern Israel, and the kingdom of Aram, modern-day Syria, are at war routinely. There's war and peace, and more war and more peace. And last couple of weeks, we looked at, when I was here three weeks ago, the The Aramean general, Naaman, probably led a number of those raids into Israel. Aram was uh, becoming quite rich by invading Israel and uh, capturing property and people. In this story today, we're going to be looking at uh, Elisha. Uh, Interestingly, this uh, narrative today, the Aramean general, Naaman, is not named at all. The king of Aram is probably Ben-Hadad II. He's not named at all either. The only named person in this story is Elisha and God. And Elisha in this particular narrative is called the man of God, three separate occasions. So clearly the hero of the story today is not humanity, it's the Lord God himself and him only. So if you would be so kind, let's go to 2 Kings uh, 6 and we're going to take a look beginning at uh, verse number 8. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, quote, in such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass by this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, is he a dolphin. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Here's the principle. God knows and uses the plans of man to accomplish his purposes. This encourages God's people and frustrates God's enemies. God knows and uses the plans of man, all of them, to accomplish his purposes. This encourages God's people and frustrates God's enemies. It's imperative that you understand that the God of the universe has intimate knowledge of and complete control over Everything in his universe. Everything in his universe. We call that God's providence. Provide. Providence is God's sovereign personal governance over his universe that he created so that all his purposes are perfectly accomplished. There is no plan of man that will ever thwart the providence of God. Period. Now, we only see dimly that. When you get to heaven, you'll see God's sovereignty in full glory. But right now, we need to understand the Bible clearly teaches that God's providence is His sovereign and personal governance over His universe so that all of His purposes are perfectly accomplished. That includes the will of man. So King Ben-Hadad of Syria, he's planning guerrilla raids into Israel. It seems that when Elisha prayed, God revealed to Elisha the exact location of Aram's military campsites and the Israeli towns that Aram was planning to attack. So Elisha would pray and the Lord would reveal to him, here's where the guerrilla forces are going to enter the land and here's the military sites that they're planning to attack. So Elisha would then warn Joram, who happened to be king of Judah or Israel, Joram would check out Elisha's information, fortify the area with troops, and eliminate the element of surprise, and therefore preventing successful attacks by Aram on Israel. This happened so frequently, consistently, that the king of Aram was just outraged. He was convinced he had a spy on his military staff, who was informing the king of his plans. He mistakenly he misdiagnosed the problem. He thought he had a human problem. He didn't have a human problem, he had a divine problem. One of his staff members said, Nobody on your staff is thinking you out. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel what you say in your bedroom. Including the periods and apostrophes and quotation marks, right? I mean, everything. There are no secrets in God's kingdom, right? There's an old song that says, You cannot hide from God, his eye is fixed on you. Yeah, he knows everything. He knows every action, he knows every word, he knows every thought, he knows every motive of every heart. So God was intervening providentially in human history to prevent and frustrate Aram's military attacks on his people Israel. And because of this, it seems there was very little bloodshed in these border skirmishes. It occurred to me that Naaman, prior to his conversion, had probably been the primary leader of these raiding parties into Israel. That's how they captured the little girl that wound up telling him about Elisha it's also highly likely at this time that Naaman who is a follower of Yahweh remember he was the number one general in Syria was not eager to attack the nation of Israel he was healed from his leprosy in Israel by Elisha right so he wouldn't be eager to attack it's also intriguing that he may well have been praying Naaman the Syrian general may have been praying that God would prevent Aram from attacking Israel. If that's true, God was certainly answering his prayers, right? I'm just asking you to think about this. The scripture does not say it, but Naam was converted as a result of his miraculous healing from his leprosy by Elisha. So it's extremely probable he was not interested in leading these attacks anymore. So Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, he conducts some recon and he finds out that Elisha is in Dothan because he says, if I don't capture Elisha and eliminate him, we're never going to be able to successfully attack Israel. Now Dothan was strategically located. You don't see it on the map, but there was a mountain pass that Dothan was in. There was a main trading route that ran through Israel that connected Damascus and Egypt. And the main trading route went through this city of Dothan. So it's located on a plain, a flat plain, but it's surrounded by mountains, very strategic town. To the south of Dothan, you have the hills of Samaria, and the north, of course, you've got the Mount Carmel range of Jezreel. There's only one other mention of this city in the Bible, and it relates to the story of Joseph. Dothan is the city where Joseph found his brothers. Remember, they're shepherding the sheep, and, the, he, and his father Jacob says, go search out your brothers and find out how they're doing. And he goes, and they're in the city of Dothan. And Dothan is the city where his own brother sold Joseph as a slave to Egypt, to a caravan headed for Egypt. It's interesting, as we'll find out today, Joseph never saw an angelic army when he was a slave in prison in Egypt. However, Joseph knew that God was providentially directing every aspect of his life, including the painful ones, including his brothers, selling him into slavery. He never thought he'd see his family again. What was his perspective on that? Well, much later in life, when he's after he's prime minister of Egypt, Joseph tells his brothers who had sold him into slavery from the city of Dothan in Genesis 50-20, key verse for the providence of God, Jacob, Joseph says, You meant it for evil. You intended it for evil. You intended me to be a slave for the rest of my life and never see my father again, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So God sent Joseph into Egypt as a slave with the express plan of making him prime minister so that he could save many people alive by storing up food for the coming famine. Now, we're going to find out today in the same way that God providentially worked through Joseph, God is going to take what Aram meant for evil and use it for good. So the king of Aram uh, wants to capture Elisha so he can't report military intel to the king of Israel. So he sends a large raiding party to Dothan, surrounds the city, no one can escape. And he's counting on, of course, his large army, element of surprise. What's very interesting... It's pretty obvious here that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, doesn't really believe that Elisha's abilities to foretell the future come from God. He doesn't believe that. If he did, he would understand that if God told Elisha what Aram was planning to do next, Elisha would obviously know that the king of Aram is sending a large raiding party to come and capture him, right? Right? I mean, so far he's managed to tell the king of Israel, by the way, this is where he's coming, this is where he's going to attack. Here's how you need to prepare yourself. So did the king of Aram really think Elisha was going to be surprised when he sends a raiding party to go capture him? Clearly, God had already told Elisha what was happening. Now what's interesting, Elisha's in Dothan, there's this large army surrounding the city. God could have told Elisha to go into hiding. By the way, Elisha, these people are coming for you. Why don't you leave Dodge? You know, get out of town. God could have redirected the Aramean army someplace else and said, well, you're not going to Dothan. You're going to attack someplace else. God arranged for this Syrian Aramean army to be there and surround the city and Elisha to be in the city at that time. That was God's sovereign plan. He was going to use this to teach Aram and Israel a key set of lessons about the nature of the living God. And Elisha's faith in the God of Israel plays a key role in this. Obviously, you know that God doesn't always prevent trials from entering our lives. He arranges many of them, allows all of them, and he uses them to reveal himself to us in new ways. Verse 15. Now, When the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his master said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he, Elisha, answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor this is the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria. Here's the principle. Ask God to open your eyes to see from his perspective. When you see spiritual truth, you will experience courage and peace. Let me repeat that. Ask God to open your eyes to see from his perspective. When you see spiritual truth, you will experience courage and peace. So the attendant they are talking about is Elisha's servant. He's up early doing chores, gets up at daylight probably to get water. He's completely unaware that anything's wrong, and therefore, of course, he's completely unprepared. When he gets outside, he can see the sunlight reflecting on all the swords and shields of the enemy soldiers that are circling the city make sure no one can escape. And when he figures out that they're not paying a social call, he becomes terrified. He says, alas, my master, what shall we do? Now, that means we're in deep doo-doo. We're going to die, right? We're dead men walking, right? He thinks the situation is hopeless because all he sees is what? a large enemy army around the city. He thinks they're outnumbered. He sees the enemy's power, but he doesn't see God's power. He doesn't see too much. He sees too little. He sees the human problem. He doesn't see God's protection. He sees with the eyes of flesh. He doesn't see with the eyes of faith. Now, he's panicking, and Elisha is perfectly calm and perfectly peaceful. Elisha does not panic. He says, what? What? Do not fear. Why? For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He could say, do not fear, because of what he saw. Elisha saw an even larger army of heavenly angels with horses and chariots of fire. The servant thought that he and Elisha were defenseless, right? However, the truth was, compared to heaven's army, the Aramean army was defenseless. Elisha had peace because he had bifocal vision. You and I must have bifocal vision. He saw not only the earthly human power of the army, he also saw the infinitely greater power of God's angelic host. Right? We know that angels are God's messengers whom he sends to serve and protect his people on earth. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they, quote, angels, Not all ministering spirits, serving spirits, sent out to render service for the sake of those who inherit eternal life. Jesus is talking about your grandchildren when he says, see that you not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Strong argument there that every child has a guardian angel. Here's the clue. They need them. If you didn't have one, you probably wouldn't be here today. I know some of how you lived when you were younger, right? I know how some of you live today. You still need a guardian angel, right? I do. I do. That's why God sent Marin. You know, I mean, you know, he knows I need help, right? Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps. What does that mean? Puts a perimeter, a barrier, right? A protective barrier around those who fear him and rescues them. Do we need rescuing? Yes! Every day from what? Stupid thinking, sinful behaviors, right? I mean, come on. You know the drill. So the Lord in his infinite wisdom sends us protection in the form of angels. The Bible clearly teaches that God sends His angels to serve the saints according to His will. Interesting, the Bible says that angels observe us closely, not because they're impressed with our behavior, but they want to, they long to understand about salvation. They do not understand salvation. They do not understand why you would not obey the Lord. They don't understand free will because they don't have it. 1 Peter 1. There are armies of angels operating on planet Earth at every moment, carrying out God's will. But you don't see them. They are unseen. The physical universe that's measured by the five senses is not the only reality there is, and we often make that fallacious assumption. The God of the Bible says that God created and controls both the physical, visible realm and the invisible, spiritual realm as well. Colossians 1.16. For by him, Jesus Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him, by Christ and for his glory. So the spiritual dimensions, the invisible realm, which enclose the physical dimension, the spiritual dimension is clearly larger than the physical dimension. That is the dwelling place of spirit beings, God and angels, etc. Now, Elisha's assistant is looking at life with his physical eyes, and he only sees the physical realm, and as a result of that, he's in fear. right? God enables Elisha to see beyond the physical realm and into the spiritual realm. That's when he saw the horses and chariots of fire. The spiritual realm is far more substantial than the physical realm. The physical realm is passing away due to death, decay, and corrupting influences of sin. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.18, We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. The invisible realm is eternal, and it's far more substantial, obviously, than the physical realm. See, we get deceived into thinking that the material world, the things we can see, touch, taste, etc., the five senses, is all there is. The things which are not seen are eternal. The visible world has an expiration date. That's why the very first thing Elisha does is what? He doesn't talk to the servant who he talked to? He prays. He said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes and see. Elisha doesn't pray, God, can you change my circumstances? That's what I'd have done. He doesn't pray, God, would you send this angelic host, which I just saw, and wipe out these Arameans? Just take them out, Right? He only prayed that God would enable his servant to see the true nature of their present situation. And we most often misdiagnose the nature of our present situation because we only see with our physical eyes. And we measure our world by what we physically see, not what we spiritually see. And we will always misdiagnose our situation unless we see it from God's point of view. And we'll always arrive at incorrect conclusions that way. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. He knew that only God can open human eyes to see spiritual truth. We have many people in our lives that we love. Some of them carry our own DNA. And we're heartbroken because they don't see, right? They're blind. They're deceived by the enemy. And they don't see spiritual reality. Just like we didn't see spiritual eyes. They've been blinded by Satan. And the only way that they're going to see spiritual truth is if God opens their eyes. Right? Jesus said, no one comes to me unless I draw them. God won't override their will, by the way. But we cry out that, that the Lord, like the servant, that the Lord will open their eyes to see reality. And sometimes that involves quite a journey before their eyes get open. Right? Sometimes you and I get on quite a journey before the Lord opens our eyes as well. So one basic principle, when you face a crisis, don't panic, pray. By the way, you're going to do one or the other. If you don't pray, you will panic. I I guarantee you, there's there's any circumstances we could get in if we didn't pray, we'd panic. But if you do pray, you won't panic. Prayer is the path to peace. Because when we pray, we send our attention on who? the infinite personal God who is our good shepherd and we entrust him with our concerns. By the way, when you pray, you never ask God to do what you can do yourself. Right? I mean, you ask God to do what's humanly impossible. God, I need this situation fixed. I don't have a solution to it. We need divine intervention to accomplish what we can't do with human effort alone. Fascinating that The scripture says that God heard his prayer and responded to it. Then the Lord opens the servant's eyes and he saw. What did he see? The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God opened his eyes to see the invisible spiritual dimensions. One character in Scripture who saw the invisible spiritual dimensions had a heart attack when he saw it. Remember the prophet Balaam? Your favorite prophet for hire. Man, he had a palm reading service. He could tell you for cash, whatever you wanted to know, right? So he was disobeying God and he was going along with the Moabite messengers in order to curse Israel when God had already said, you're not going to curse him, you're going to bless him. but You know, Lord, if they're going to pay me some big bucks, maybe I could just kind of say something that would keep him happy. I won't quite curse him, but I really want to collect this big payday. right? He was a prophetic prostitute. He didn't want to do God's will. He wanted to get paid to kind of tweak Scripture enough to get paid, and God opposed that, and God opened his eyes. So he's on the way to Moab to collect his payday, Numbers twenty-two thirty-one. 31 The Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw The angel of the Lord standing in the way with a drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. I'm not going to quote the next one, but the angel of the Lord said, I would have spared the donkey and slain you. Because the donkey at least had the good sense not to go forward when they saw me. Duh. I resemble Balaam. Same. I have done that. So when you see the spiritual realm, it gives you proper perspective on the physical realm. If you saw spiritual reality, the physical reality would not upset you so much and you wouldn't need to take all those things for your stomach, right? Sometimes God pulls back the curtain and gives his people a glimpse of the spiritual world in Scripture. A good glimpse is Job 1 and 2. Now, fascinating, Job doesn't know about Job 1 and 2. We know about Job 1 and 2. God says, here's what's really going on behind the scenes, then you see the rest of the story. Job doesn't see 1 and 2. He just gets the rest of the story and he's clueless about what's happened. It gives us a glimpse of the realm where God and all the non-physical creatures dwell. Jacob dreamed about what? A ladder going up and down into heaven, angels ascending and descending. Moses saw God face-to-face on top of Mount Sinai at the tent of meeting. Moses and the 70 elders saw God's glory when God took some of his authority and delegated to the 70 to give Moses some help. Isaiah 6 records his vision of God, seated on his throne, high and lifted up. Train of his robe filled the temple. Ezekiel 1 records the vision of God in his mobile throne and the cherubim underneath that supported it, very consistent with Revelation. Daniel saw the pre-incarnate Christ in chapter 10. Stephen was given a vision of heaven as he was being stoned to death in Acts 7. Saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. The Apostle Paul was given a vision of the third heaven, the very dwelling place of God when he was being stoned in Lystra. The Apostle John, which will obviously were in Revelation, was given extensive revelations of Jesus and the worship of heaven, especially in chapters 4 and 5. Now, the reality is, many people don't believe in an invisible spiritual realm. They don't. They believe that only what you can measure with the five senses, that's all that exists. Nothing else exists. There's an old phrase, what? I'll believe it when I see it. Well, there's all kinds of things that are real, but you can't see. The human eye can only see the visible light wave spectrum. The visible light wave spectrum is 380 nanometers, that's the color violet, to 720 nanometers, that's the color red. Violet to red is all you can see. You've all heard the acronym ROYGBIV, ROYGBIV, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, that's the colors of the rainbow, right? That's what you can see. The visible light spectrum, the colors of the rainbow is 0.0035% of the total light spectrum. That means our human eyes are blind to 99.9965 of the electromagnetic spectrum. If it's not between 380 and 720, you can't see it with your own eyes. Less than 380 is is ultra-ray violet. That's gamma rays, X-rays, can't see them. More than 720 nanometers infrared. That's radio waves, microwaves, stuff like that. We know these wavelengths exist because we can see what they do. We can measure their effect. We just can't see them. So someone says, well, I don't believe they exist because I can't see them. Well, guess what? 99.9965, you can't see, right? The human ear. If you have hearing aids, this helps, but just saying. <laughs> the human ear can hear sound waves between 20 hertz and 20,000 hertz. Hertz measures cycles per second. Frequency, vibrations. Below 20 hertz this infrasound. Elephants communicate with infrasound. Very low frequencies below 20 hertz. I just saw a documentary that stunned me. Elephants can communicate with their herd three to five miles away. They lay three feet of their trunk flat on the ground in front of them, and they get all four feet in a square, and then they start rumbling 20 20 hertz or below through their trunk, and they pick up sound waves with their feet, and the strongest vibration tells them the direction their herd is. So if this foot's picking up stronger sound waves than this foot, That's where they know to go. They use the earth like the soundboard of a piano, to amplify the sound of like hammers hitting the strings. Above 20,000 hertz, you know that, that's dogs. If you have a dog whistle, that's 20,000 hertz or above. Dolphins, bats, we can't hear any of that unassisted. Here's the point. Just because you can't perceive it doesn't mean it's not real. Just because you can't see the spiritual realm doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You can't see electricity. You know it exists, put your hand in the socket, you'll find out real quick it exists, right? If you really want to check it out, make sure you're standing on water. That kind of amps up the effect just a little bit. Just saying. You can't see magnetism. You can't see gravity. You know they're real because their effects are measurable. So just because you can't see the spiritual realm doesn't mean it exists. So, how do you see the unseen realm? The Bible tells us that spiritual reality, the world beyond our five senses, is perceived by faith in God and His Word. Hebrews 11.1 1 says what? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 27 gives an example. By faith, he, talking about Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him, God, who is unseen. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, the physical realm, but my words will not pass away. Here's the principle. We perceive spiritual reality through faith in God and his word. We perceive spiritual reality through faith in God and his word. Hebrews 11 is just a partial list of Bible characters who believed what God told them and lived in light of that spiritual reality, regardless of their physical circumstances. They counted the promises of the living God as more real than their physical circumstances. Did you understand what I just said? They counted the promises promises of God as more real than their physical circumstances. Now you're facing some physical circumstances, I am too. Sometimes they're enormous and painful, sometimes they're hopeless from a human standpoint. The promises of God are more real than whatever physical circumstances you are facing. It makes enormously good sense once you accept the reality that there is an infinite personal creator God who controls all things in the universe for his glory and your good because he's your good shepherd who loves you as well as the infinite God who controls all things. See, we Christians, I wanted to say we're schizophrenic, that's not accurate, <laughs> but we live in two worlds at the same time, right? Right? We live in a physical realm. We actually have flesh and blood. We live here. We sweat, we bleed, we cry, we die, just like everybody else. But at the same time, we live in a spiritual dimension where none of that's reality. We do have physical bodies, and we live in a physical plane. However, our spirits live in and have contact with what the Bible calls the heavenly places. The Christian's identification with Christ is so complete that from God's point of view, you are already raised from the dead and seated with Christ in heaven right now. And at the same time, you are in your physical body here on planet Earth. God treats our salvation, our resurrection, our seating and reigning with Christ as a completed fact right now, even though our physical bodies are on planet Earth. Because there's no past, present, and future with God. God's promises for the future are so certain that the Bible treats them as completed facts now. Ephesians 2.6 says what? God raised, past tense, us up with him, Christ, and seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Which means, spiritually speaking, from God's perspective, you, as his child, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, are already in heaven, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Spiritually speaking, that is completed fact. And you say, well, how can that be? My body's here. Your body's here. Your spirit's in heaven. You say, well, my spirit's too, here too. That's correct. What dimension are you looking at? We're looking at it from a physical dimension. God says you need to look at it from the fact of my promises are more real than this dimension you're in now. And you say, well, do you have to have bifocal vision? Yeah, you do. Where do you get that? The same place you always got it. Here it is. He wrote it down. You have the Holy Spirit. God himself lives in you. Open your mind to this truth. You perceive spiritual reality by faith in God and his word. Now, we're influenced by the invisible spiritual realm. We know that because we're commanded what? In chapter 6, verse 12 of Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, therefore, take up the full armor of God. So spiritually, we're in heaven with Christ now, but physically, baby, we live on planet Earth, and we are in a battle. We talked about there being angels all around. Well, that's true. There's two categories of those characters. One are fallen angels who follow Satan, and they're dispatched by Satan to hinder you and tempt you, and God's faithful angels are dispatched to assist and serve and strengthen and empower you. In Elisha's case, God dispatched his angelic army according to his will in Elisha's prayers. So the Aramean army comes down from the city to capture Elisha, and Elisha doesn't ask God to destroy them. He prays that God would blind them. Take their side away, so they cannot see. Now, this word blindness is related to dazzlingly bright light, which is interesting. I don't know if there's a connection between the angelic host, the horses and chariots of fire, and the Aramean's army inability to see. I suspect there is, but I can't prove that. But they're now blind, they're now helpless, and Elisha can lead them The 12 miles right inside the walls of Israel's capital city, Samaria. What's utterly intriguing is what armies could not do without a great deal of bloodshed. God does. He takes one obedient servant and peacefully captures a large enemy raiding party with no loss of life. Isn't that intriguing? doesn't use swords or spears. God opens eyes and closes eyes depending on his purposes, right? God asked God, Elisha asked God to blind the enemy army just enough to be helpless. Apparently their eyes were clouded. They could see enough to follow him, but not enough to comprehend where they're being led. So I don't know if there's mental confusion along with this or not, but they're, they're harmless enough to be led into... Samaria, why would God go to all the trouble? Verse 20, when they had come into Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Then the king of Israel, when he saw this, said to them, My father, my father, shall I kill him? Shall I kill him? Elisha answered, You shall not kill him. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Said bread and water before them that they may go and drink, eat and drink and go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And when they had eaten and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the marauding bands of Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel. Here's the principle. Revenge produces retribution, but God enables us to overcome evil by doing good. To those who do evil to us. Revenge produces retribution, but God enables us to overcome evil by doing good to those who do evil to us. So how did good overcome evil? I want you to think about it. You're part of this Aramean army. You think this is a done deal. I mean, there's only two of them, right? Elisha and the servant. No big deal. And you don't see the angelic horses and chariots of fire. Only Elisha and his servants see them. So you as an Aramean soldier, you're blind to the spiritual reality you're dealing with. All you know is that when this guy prays, you're now blind. And Elisha says, I'm going to lead you to the person you need to see. And you get into Samaria and you hear Elisha pray, Lord, open their eyes that they may see. And all of a sudden you see and you're in the middle of the enemy's capital and you're surrounded by enemy soldiers. You can imagine they were a little shocked, probably terrified, thinking my day is now, right? King Joram of Israel is almost hysterical. My father, my father, shall I kill him? Shall I kill him? So he says, my father, my father, that's a title of respect for the prophet, you know? Lord, prophet, can I kill these people? These are Romanian soldiers. These are enemies. And Elisha says, you're not going to kill them. You didn't capture them. You don't have the right to kill them, right? You have no say-so over their treatment. They're not your prisoners. They're Elisha's guests. Actually, these enemy soldiers have now come under Yahweh's protection. The God of Israel protected Elisha from the Iranian soldiers who had come to capture and kill him. And now the God of Israel is protecting the Iranian soldiers from the king of Israel that wants to kill them. Isn't that interesting? God is going to teach everyone a lesson without bloodshed. He's going to accomplish spiritually what swords and shields cannot accomplish. Elisha refuses to let them be killed because it was God's plan to save life, not to take life. What does he do? Elisha says, I want you to feed them and let them return to their master. Now, to his credit, King Joram goes beyond that. It says he prepares a great feast for his enemies, these soldiers, right? They've been robbing. They've been killing. If you're living in Samaria, you probably have a relative that these characters have killed. And you're going, you might have feed these suckers? Yeah, I'll feed them arsenic. I mean, you know, this, we're going to deal with this, right? But he prepares a great feast for him. He obeys Elisha. What he was doing, he was saying, God, I'm going to do what your prophet told me, and I'm going to trust you to protect us. I'm not going to kill him because I'm going to trust you to protect us from this enemy army. And I don't have to fear because you're in control. Now, in the ancient Near East, if you shared a meal together, especially in your own home, that constituted the binding covenant of peace. Sharing a meal was a very big deal. It meant you were bound by social custom, tradition, not to attack someone who had shown you hospitality and protection, right? Elisha and Israel were living in accordance with Proverbs 25, 21. Paul quoted this, by the way, in Romans 12. He said, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head, Do not be overcome by evil, but what? Overcome evil with good. So the king of Aram had tried to capture Elisha with horses and chariots, but Elisha captures all of these enemy soldiers with what? Prayer and kindness. Kindness, by the way, is a fruit of the Spirit. Evidence that you're filled with the Spirit when you're kind, especially to your enemies. Jesus said what? Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and your king, Jesus Christ. Joram was demonstrating to the enemy that Israel was a merciful nation because the God of Israel was a merciful God. If you want to demonstrate to the world that your God is a God of love, then it's incumbent on you to show kindness to those who are your enemies. Because Jesus demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were what? Still sinners, still at war with him, still his enemies, he died for us. So when we behave like Jesus does and show kindness in light of, in face of opposition, we demonstrate the love of God for them to see. It says the Arameans were so impressed with Elisha's insight and Israel's kindness, they stopped raiding Israel. That's called overcoming evil with good. You know, God accomplishes his plans in his way. None of this makes sense from a human standpoint. From a human standpoint, if you got your enemy in your grasp, you crush them. I mean, they killed my relative. If you're retribution. You're out of here. You know, I'm going I'm to take these people out. But Elisha saw the spiritual dimension... God had a plan. None of this was Elisha's plan, by the way. When he said, open their eyes, close their eyes, the Holy Spirit is guiding Elisha as he goes. God has a plan to accomplish his purposes in his ways, and most of the time we don't see it because we don't ask him to see it. When's the last time you said, Lord, here's my take on this situation. Here's my assessment of this situation. I know that you see more than I see. Yeah? Open my eyes that I would see the reality of what I'm really dealing with here. Sometimes you're dealing with some mean, nasty, ugly people in your life. They're lost. They're lost. They don't have Jesus. They're controlled by the enemy. They believe lies. They're lonely. They're hurting. They lash out. They behave like the devil because the devil's their master, and we want to react to him on their level. Lord, open my eyes that I might see their spiritual needs. What do they need? Love, forgiveness from the Lord. So, whatever the situation, I'm just using that as one little example. Whatever your situation is, you don't see it accurately unless you ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Amen? You have people, we have people in our lives, all of us, who need to see spiritual truth and we need to continue to pray that the Lord will open their eyes so that they may see and that the Lord will open our eyes to what our loved ones' needs really are so we don't wind up responding to them in ways that don't honor Jesus Christ as well. So this week, in the next 167 hours, as you read God's Word, as you live life, as you come in contact with people, in any circumstance you're in, ask God to help you see things from his point of view. We're in a situation in our church family where our senior pastor of 30 plus years has been given a death sentence from a human point of view. Human points of view don't impress our king. His Point of view is all that matters. Ask God to show you what he wants you to see in this circumstance. It probably will not be what you currently see. He wants to show us his sovereignty. He wants to show us his lordship. He wants to show us his love. He wants to show us his shepherding. He wants us to understand that He is the King. He is our Father who is in control and who does all things for our good, even hard things. Maybe especially hard things. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things. You don't have a father who doesn't understand heartbreak. He laid down the life of his son for us. So when we walk through this valley and by the way, Roger would tell you, I'm only one person that's struggling and suffering. You have struggles and suffering. We are a family. We do this together. This is a call to worship. It is a call to surrender. It is a call to come to the Lord and say, "Lord, open my eyes that I would see what you see and respond like you respond. Okay, let's summarize, and then I'll have, ask Tom to come and do prayer and praise. Number one, God knows and uses the plans of man to accomplish his purposes. This encourages God's people and frustrates God's enemies. Number two, ask God to open your eyes to see from his perspective. When you see spiritual truth, you will experience courage and peace because you will see him in fully in control. Number three, we perceive spiritual reality of faith in God and his word. He's revealed his will and his perspective in his word. Read it and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Lastly, revenge produces retribution, but God enables us to overcome evil by doing good. By the way, you and I have no capacity to do that. On our own. I said that on purpose. God enables us to overcome evil with good, right? It's a divine capacity that He gives us to do that by His grace and by His indwelling power. Okay. Thank you for coming. It is so good to be back. I missed you all a bunch. It's bad to be back home. Now that you know,
1: MANA meets at Valley Baptist Church at 4800 Fruitvale Avenue in Bakersfield, California, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. in the choir room. We would love for you to join us. Here at MANA, we believe in doing life together. So if you're in need of prayer, submit your request to manabiblepodcast at gmail.com and our class will be happy to pray for you. Thank you for joining us today. And now that you know, do.